You know who I want to cosplay as? Ezio? Who? Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard. What? Who's that? Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground barring injuries is four miles per hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. <laughs> what I want from each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, <laughs> warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, and outhouse, and doghouse in that area. <laughs> Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive name is Dr. Richard Kimball. <laughs> go get him. That's so funny. I actually wanted to tell you, I watched it on my plane from uh, L.A. to Seattle because it was the perfect amount of time. And so I watched it as soon as we, we were in the air and and pretty much as soon as we landed, it ended. And I had not seen that since I was a kid. It's such a good movie. <laughs> Fugitive is awesome. It's so good. But I was I was dying when that part happened because I forgot <laughs> it happened right then. And like I was trying to trying to take a video and send it to you, but it just wouldn't work because of the glare on the screen. But yeah, so good. And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular. Yep. Well, uh, the other one, just stick them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Is it Zach or Zachary? I always say Zachary. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here we discuss and dissect what makes the film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. <laughs> don't be crazy, Zach. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. It's Zach or Zachary. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I always say Zachary Rancourt, and then at the end I say Zach, and I'm just like, that's too first. We'll split the difference. We'll just call me Zach. It's like apparel. <laughs> I always spell apparel differently. Sometimes it's two P's. Sometimes it's two R's. Same with cancel. Sometimes it's one L. Sometimes it's two. You are you are just like that. Don't sometimes be crazy. I, sometimes I just draw a pair. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I am good. I'm alive. I'm well. Uh, no complaints. Yeah, I know we're uh, we're amidst this time of cholera and and tragedy. So the um, the uh, the quarantine is is interesting. We'll see how this progresses, but you know at least we can do this kind of stuff and not get sick via the internet. But well, at least we we, we think so. But I just I literally just coughed off of my <laughs> as you were saying that I had a, I had a frog in my throat. <laughs> that's the start of it that was yeah. your patient your patient zero because of the frog um before we jump into today's episode so i just got back from new zealand and it was it was amazing um i was in middle earth and justin before i did hobbiton like so i did the hobbiton tour and i was not expecting to it because i was kind of i'm like kind of anti-tourist stuff oh, i'm so cool i don't want to go to the touristy places even though it's a good time, I'm just not going to do it. I'll get the postcard instead. So anyways, that's not what I mean. I just mean that uh, sometimes it's it's hard to go do those things because I like to go at my pace, not not the pace of, of 
a giant group of people. But anyways, I had a free day and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do Hobbiton. And it was so cool. They put you on a bus because you have to bus into the movie set to the actual area. And they play a video with an intro to Peter Jackson. And as soon as they play the opening like Hobbiton theme song with like the cello and the violin and stuff, I'm like almost in tears because it's just it was so overwhelming. It was pretty amazing. But um, so I did that and uh, on on the airplane to and from because there were such long flights, I had a, a lot of movie watching, but I watched uh, Terminator Dark Fate, which was uh, not so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't I liked Mackenzie Davis, like you were saying, she was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, she was she was overdoing it on everything. I was I was not super impressed with her. Yeah, so she has um a bit of a smoker voice these days. Um mm-hmm. it's a little bit off putting. I don't know. Maybe she does sound like that. I don't know. I just she was a little rough and tough and and uh I was not not feeling the Sarah Connor. No, it did not feel like Sarah Connor, which was a bummer. But um, I also watched Hobbs and Shaw, and that was uh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> but it has Statham. He punches sharks. Yeah, it was it was really cheesy. Like, it was super cheesy. Um, and I also watched uh, The Dark Phoenix, which wasn't as bad as what people said it was, but it still was, was pretty bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a shame. Yeah. So, I mean, those are perfect examples of airplane movies, right? Because it's the ones you're like, I don't really want to buy this, but it's it's there, so I'm going to watch it. Right, right, right. Um, but I did watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks, and oh, it's so good. I was like crying in the first 10 minutes just because he does such a perfect uh, Fred Rogers act. And uh, so it broke my heart to hear that he has corona. I was like, why? <laughs> why, Tom? But uh, yeah, it was uh, it, that was a good movie. So I, I watched all those on that airplane. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, since he's such a high-profile person, how the virus affects him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being he's got to be in his sixties at this point, right? He's fifty um, years old. <laughs> assuming, assuming, yeah, <laughs> nice hurricane. Um, <laughs> assuming that is the only health uh, problem that he has. I'm just curious. he's a diabetic too, I believe. Oh really? Dang! What's yeah. this chart? That shit's private. I mean, I know it. Dang. I am the Tom Hanks fan club of Seattle. There you go. Did you the watch Ballard anything recently? Another chapter. <laughs> um, I don't think so. Oh yeah, I did. I did watch a couple movies. I watched Fighting with My Family, which I Ooh. really, really enjoyed. Really? Okay, yeah. good because I really like Florence Pugh a lot, and I heard that that was pretty funny. It is. It's really good. It's delightful. Um, I watched that. I watched 47 meters below uncaged. <laughs> I did. <laughs> how, how, how was it? It was fun. <laughs> I, I mean, I like shark movies. Okay. Um, so I enjoyed it. It's, shark, I, I, shark. I, would, I would never in a million years argue with someone that it's a good movie, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I got scared at one point. I, like, I, like, I was like, go, Jesus! Like, and, and Alex just was cracking up laughing. She was reading a book and not paying attention, but I just had, there was this moment that completely caught me off guard, and I just, I, I, I shrieked a little bit. It scared, scared me. <laughs> um, and it was, I was laughing about it. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that got me. And uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> And then I watched, oh, I watched The Cooler. Have you ever seen that? 
the Coolers with William H Macy and uh, um, Maria Bello and and Alec Baldwin. And he, do you know what a cooler is? Uh, at a casino, someone that's like on a hot streak, they'll send someone to the table to cool things down. And William H Macy is the most unlucky man in the world, and he is the cooler at this casino. Oh wow! I didn't know that. No, yeah, it's, it's from like 2003. I had never seen it, and I've wanted to my entire life uh, from 2003 on. <laughs> anyway, and uh, <laughs> and it was there on Prime. I was like, "Holy shit!" So I'm trying to challenge myself to watch something new, or at least something I haven't seen mm-hmm. um, every day. That's kind of my been my thing. Smart. Um, yeah. So cool. Yeah. No, I uh, I've never heard of it or seen it. So that's. That's good. I, I'm glad that you're branching out. I uh, I should do, do that a little bit more. I mean, I've seen a billion movies in my lifetime. I'm just trying to challenge myself to see something that I I have just either slipped under the radar or I never got around to watching. I am now making the time and effort to do so. I'll make time for you. Sweet. Um. All right. What what movie are we doing today, Justin? We are doing the Boogie Nights. I'm very excited. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh God, yeah, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Justin, what's your what is your history with Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson? Uh, I think Boogie Nights was the first thing that I ever saw from him. Um, while Hard Eight did come out before it, I saw mm-hmm. that after Boogie Nights. Um, yeah. Not much, not much longer after, but um, I think Hard Eight kind of got some recognition after Boogie Nights. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh hey, if you like that, then go check out this. Which also has John C. Riley and in it, so all the hipsters, all the hipster PTA fans are like, "Oh well, I saw Heart Eight first, probably." Yeah, but yeah, Boogie Nights is what put him on the map per se in Hollywood because he was a 27 year old, you know, up and coming director that was essentially like Tarantino, and Hollywood was they were comparing the two. Uh, and actually, Tarantino told a story about how PTA called him and is like, "Hey, I'm I'm Paul Thomas Anderson." I, you know, I, I love your work and apparently Hollywood is comparing us to a lot of stuff. So maybe we should just get to meet and know each other. And I guess they're really good friends uh, to this day. So oh, that's cool. th- that was pretty cool. But yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I saw it in the theater, um, enjoyed the shit out of it. And it was like, cause I was, I was 17 when it came out and um, I, I was surrounded by old people because everyone came to see uh, Burt Reynolds. At least that's what I was <laughs> under the impression they were, they were there for. like, <laughs> oh Yeah. Fucking smoking the bandit. Let's go check this <laughs> shit out. And uh, and sure enough, there were a lot of uh, still heads in the movie, <laughs> like during like the, <laughs> during like all the fun and graphic scenes. I'm just kind of looking around, like almost like when you watch a movie with your parents and there's like a sex scene or something, and you're just kind of uncomfortable. So I'm just kind of looking around, and all these old people just kind of staring at the screen, like, "Oh, this is happening." And uh, it, was, it was great. Very. Very community driven. I loved it. I dig it. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge PTA fan. Um, I've seen all of his movies except Inherent Vice. Um, I started the Fan- Phantom Thread on an airplane uh, a while ago, but I like, fell asleep or something. So I need to revisit that. But um, yeah, I'm a big PTA fan. He likes to collaborate with a lot of the same actors, which I love because I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he's had him in, I think, three or four of his movies. Yeah. Same with uh, Philip Baker Hall. He's in a lot, too. Mm-hmm. He, he is. Floyd Gondoli in Book and, Who's also and, in Heart Eight as well. Yep. Exactly. Uh, so it's it's nice. Some Magnolia. Pe- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Magnolia is a big ensemble film. So, yeah, that yeah. doesn't surprise me. Uh, and he likes Joaquin Phoenix a lot, too. So 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, There Will Be Blood is probably probably my favorite from him just because I thought it was such a visceral and intriguing film. I loved every second of that movie and I love Daniel Day Lewis a lot, but um, some of his other ones do like punch drunk love. A lot of people either haven't seen or they just didn't like, I, I absolutely love that film. I think it's such a different shift for Adam Sandler, especially in like 2002, right? When he's coming out of the nineties off of his biggest careers, you still have pretty peak level Adam Sandler at that point. So this role was so different for him, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but for Boogie Nights in 97, I was 10 years old. So I don't remember ever watching it until I got older, a little bit older. And I'm saying like 14, maybe I think my brother was watching it and I just remember there was boobs in it. So I'm like, yes, I love this. But, uh, I, didn't know anything about the story until my early 20s when I rewatched it again. And I'm like, this is an awesome movie. And so I'm, I was very happy we, we got to revisit this film because it's just it really, really stands stands the test of time. So, mm. um, so this movie was written by Paul Thomas Anderson or PTA as what us cool insiders like to call him. Um, it stars Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, John C. Riley, Heather Graham, Don Cheadle, William H. Macy, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Thomas Jane, and Nicole Ari Parker. Justin, do you have the critical reception in front of you? I do. Uh, I'm just going to add really fast that Nicole Ari Parker is absolutely gorgeous, and I <laughs> love her, and... I think it is a shame that she is not in this movie more. Changes! <laughs> yeah. Later! Oh, jeez. Inside joke. Anywho, um, let's take care. What do we got? Mr. Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly. Sounds amazing. Uh, Boogie Nights, an epic tale of porn, pleasure, and excess, offers a pure hit of exhilaration than any movie this year. That's fascinating. Porn, pleasure, and excess. I think, uh, I don't, uh, I'm not sure I agree with you 100% on your critiquing abilities there, Owen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I feel like uh, I see something different. For me, it's more of a, a tale of family, love, and acceptance. Yeah. And not, uh, not just porn and such. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Do your yeah. job, man. Do your job. <laughs> uh, I mean, he gives it an A, but I mean, I think he's given an A for a different reason. Um, you know, we all have we all have dreams and aspirations, and and if we're lucky, we can look to our friends and family for that love and support to accomplish those dreams. And I think that's very much the case of Boogie Nights. Uh, there's more to these characters than just making pornos. Totally, I think you and I are on the same wavelength there, muchacho. Yeah. Ah, sorry. I mean, I can I can go deeper if you want, or I can keep reading. We'll go deeper in a bit. Keep reading. Okay. <laughs> No one. <laughs> uh, let's see here. What do we got? Uh, Jason Bailey from Vice. The Tarantino comparison is ultimately less about technique than a shared joyful electricity of the filmmaking. Uh, the sense of an artist clearly high on the sheer act of making a movie. Hmm. 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 How, How about, about that, that? Jason? <laughs> Oh, shit. We got Candace Frederick from Real Talk Online. Uh, <laughs> Knights humanized these actors and made them live beyond their reputations. Oh. Interesting. I don't know about all that. B plus. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, that's just a snippet from her full review, which I'm more than happy to read if you like. No, I'm good. Oh. 
It is true. They they do uh, live beyond their reputations. They these characters have really high highs and remarkable lows. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I mean, I mean, in all honesty, like even going back to that whole about Owen saying that you know porn and and excess, you know, that's the one thing about these movies is uh, this movie in particular is that um, they just want more to life than what's on the table, and mm-hmm. you know. They look to each other to get it, and when it comes to family and friends, you have to be there for each other and be supportive to the entire process. Mm-hmm. And you know, they like I said, they reach incredible highs and downright remarkable lows. And at the end oh, of the yeah. day, when you truly love someone, you'll support them through both the highs and the lows. Like Dirk is at literal rock bottom, and yeah, <laughs> yeah he he gets accepted back by Jack because he's the, you know the prodigal son. He has returned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So, by the end, by the end, yeah, seriously, by the end of it, they all forgive each other and they continue with their support system. Mm-hmm. I dig it, man. It's beautiful. I'm beautiful. I know you are. Like Nicole Ari Parker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Frederico Farzan from Sinalipolis says, A fantastic take on a golden era that nobody wants to remember and it's pretty relevant. Wow. I don't know. I like that era. You just said it was timeless a minute ago. <laughs> and yeah. this is a period piece. End of the 70s, early 80s. That's a, that is a remarkable time period. Not going to lie. They called it a discotheque back then. Uh, discotheque. <laughs> you want to go to the club? You mean the discotheque? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so uh, is that it for reviews? It can be. Are you done? Sweet. No, I like I like it. Those those are those are plentiful. They're very plentiful. Um, yeah. So this movie actually did really well in terms of uh, Academy Award nominations. It was nominated for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor. Sorry for Burt Reynolds' uh, performance. Best Supporting Actress for Julianne Moore, and Best Writing for Paul Thomas Anderson. So pretty good for his uh, you know second feature film debut. Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing about that, I'll just jump to the trivia really quick. Just one trivia snippet. Burt Reynolds actually hated the idea of doing a movie promoting the porn industry and turned turned the Jack Horner roll down seven times. He also felt like he was selling out and letting his old fans down after angrily telling Paul Thomas Anderson the last time. Wait, the last time offered, he wasn't interested and to leave him alone. Anderson told him if he could carry that attitude with him to the role, he would be nominated for an Oscar. He subsequently chose to do the film and was nominated for best best actor in a supporting role. Pretty interesting. Hmm. So we see that fiery Reynolds in the in my favorite scene <laughs> when, when he kicks Dirk off his lawn. Oh, I do like that. I'll kick your ass. You want to go? I know karate. That's <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh, you want to see me kick some ass? I know karate. <laughs> I feel like kicking some ass right now. Oh, it's so great. Um, do you have the box office numbers? Uh, I did. Um, <laughs> hold, please. A uh, budget of $15 million. Opening weekend made, does that say $50,000? Yeah, not much. <laughs> Wow, that's how much a heart transplant cost in the movie Hot Rod. <laughs> Throwing that out there. Uh, gross in the U.S. was $26.4 million. And around the world, worldwide, you're looking at $43.1 million. So, so successful. I yeah, guess you I'd say so for $15 million bucks. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty good. And I would say that that opening shot probably cost some of that $15 million. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and this movie, this movie got more popular with time, obviously. Um, and it's, it's referenced a lot. And actually Olivia Wilde, who, when she shot Booksmart, she used, she paid homage to uh, PTA in the pool scene. Mm-hmm. When, you know, you have that, that, that long take where they're at the house and the party and there's all these things going on. And then they jump into the swimming pool because they're following that girl. And it's the yeah. underwater shot. I had a crush so, on that girl too, even though she's oh, a yeah. smoker. That's normally a deal breaker for JC over here, but um, I was into it. I'm not going to lie. For JC over here. <laughs> That's what you have me listed as my name in this JC Penny. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Singular. Could, Singular Penny. Only one me, Penny. Me and Abe. We're, we're the dynamic duo. Um, so Leonardo DiCaprio was originally offered the role of Dirk Diggler. He liked the screenplay, but turned it down because he had already signed on to do a very small indie film called Titanic. And uh, DiCaprio suggested Mark Wahlberg for the role. And they they were homies and they worked in Basketball Diaries together. I remember that. So uh, Paul Thomas Anderson simulated the dialogue in the fake porn movies by adapting actual dialogue from real porn movies. He said he did it so me- so people could not say the porn dialogue sounded fake. And the funny thing about that, <laughs> you, you, you and I, Justin, were talking about this when we were texting is it's actors playing actors playing actors. And I thought that that was so funny because I think the dialogue perfectly fit this this farce, you know, that was these these pornographic films, mm-hmm. right? So I think that that was uh, that was that was pretty spot on and pretty hilarious. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, Mark Wahlberg was allowed to keep the prosthetic penis he used at the end of the film. Sweet. I would insert it and walk around like it was mine of my own business. <laughs> yeah, you'd go to what you say, jail? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, insert it in myself and walk around. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, it's like yeah, let it hang around. I'm like, hey, hang on a second there. No, 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 no. No, insert it inside my body cavity. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Push it out and then do it again. That's even worse. Oh, yeah. I'll edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, I'm going to read a quick synopsis. This was written by Mr. Z.R. Penny. Zach Rancourt Penny. Bell <laughs> <laughs> Food Court. I <laughs> uh, can't eat at food courts right now because of Corona. Um, All right. So in 1970s Los Angeles, the lights were bright. The music was groovy. The attire was foxy and the pornography industry was king. At the center of this titan industry is Jack Horner, director extraordinaire. Jack shoots the best porn films that L.A. has to offer with the greatest actors in the business. But Jack is always looking for new talent. Jack discovers a young, ambitious Eddie who is destined for greatness. Eddie is a normal 18 year old with one special thing. He has a giant dick. Eddie joins Jack and his production family as he quickly becomes the newest porn superstar, pseudonym Dirk Diggler. As as the decade progresses, Dirk and Jack make many successful films. Dirk relishes fame while he quickly begins to lose control of his stardom, experimenting with cocaine, moving to harder drugs, and living a very lavish life. As film as film evolves into VHS, so do the methods of making porn. Jack seeks new talent and Dirk's jealousy grows. Jack and Dirk reach a breaking point and go their separate ways. Jack's films just aren't the same without Dirk, and Dirk struggles to launch his lackluster music career. Dirk then hits rock bottom after an attempted home robbery goes awry. With nowhere else to go, Dirk comes back to Jack to ask for forgiveness. Jack, who missed Dirk, embraces him as the prodigal son has returned. 
the Jack Horner family gets back together to continue new films, hoping to achieve the glory days of past. Despite their troubled pasts, misfits have a great tendency to come together and find family. Yeah. So it kind of touched on what you were you were talking about. Um so yeah, just right off the bat. So you said you saw this in theater, so ninety-seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you were how old were you then? Seventeen. She's Ooh. only seventeen. <laughs> Can you get into rated R movies at seventeen or is it? Yeah, 18? it's seventeen. No children under seventeen permitted. Oh. Seventeen. And you said your thoughts on it and you liked it and what not. Um yeah, I loved it. Um in fact, um it's one of those movies that kind of inspired me to get my degree in film. I just really liked the way it was shot and I was drawn in from start to finish. Loved cool. It. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. Um, I, I, like I said, I saw it when I was really young and I didn't really know much about it. And then in my 20s, I was kind of the same way as you as I started appreciating film more. I'm like, holy buckets. This is beautiful. It's a, it's a really art house film. So, um, but yeah, that opening shot, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, just cinematic gold. Yeah. Would you, would you agree? <laughs> oh yeah. Hands down. It's, it's probably my favorite shot in all the movies. Mm hmm. Um, so, you know, you have that tracking to a dolly in of like the title and it says Boogie Nights. The camera shifts. It goes at a weird angle and it shows Reseda. So you automatically know where you're at. Um, you can tell kind of by the font too, and the music with how it starts. Um, what's the song? I, it's, whoa, whoa, you got the best of my love. It's that yeah. one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, you already get a, a sense for the vibe and side note, the soundtrack for this film is amazing. Um, I think the, the song choice is excellent for all for everything that they pick, especially <laughs> especially when they're in Rahad's house and you hear Sister Christian and then you get Jesse's girl like, oh, so good. Um, so, anyways, so then what? Go, go ahead. You know how good it was. And there's a part in the movie when um, when uh, they're making the Bronk Landers film and uh, she's like, I hear the food's good here. He's like, good. It's excellent the best in the city <laughs> and uh when when alex and i went on that that famous date when we went to go see don't breathe um you know that was like one of our first dates ever seeing that creepy movie and i got uh part of being part of the regal club thing uh she was like oh you got a free popcorn you want to redeem it and out of just out of nowhere i haven't thought about the line in forever i go is it the best in the city <laughs> <laughs> and the lady's like what and then Alex is like just ignore him he's an idiot <laughs> <laughs> and I, it literally came from that movie that's so funny that's and excellent it, it, <laughs> <laughs> oh shit anyway I'm sorry continue <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I know. That was just such a magical night. I know. So that's funny. great. Um, so, yeah, you have the tracking uh, to a dolly in of the title and everything like that. And then it's um, it continues to dolly in. And we see we see Jack Horner's limousine. I, I think it's a limousine. Uh, his car. We'll say that um, him and Amber get out of the car and they're greeted by Maurice. Uh, Maurice takes them and then it's a steady cam tracking shot again, showing us to the dance floor with Reed, Becky and Buck. And then Maurice interacts with each one of them. And in those quick interactions, you get a sense of who they are pretty quickly. Um, then we pan over to another tracking shot with Jack and Amber sitting down and we get to meet roller girl who is 
essentially childish in a way. Um, and she she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And then Amber's like, then go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, so she goes to the bathroom and then it finally uh, pans over to Dirk. And we get that zoom in to Dirk. And that's when the the one shot ends. Now, in this three minute sequence, we are introduced to seven of the main characters the setting for the film. So it's this cool, groovy 70s disco era uh, where our, we get to see what type of people our characters are. So Buck is somebody who clearly, you know, he's excited about his cowboy outfit and Maurice is kind of like, what the fuck, man? Um, Jack is cool, calm and collected. He's, he's, you know, he's the guy. Um, Amber's this beauty who is, is treated like that. All this kind of stuff we we find out in this three minutes and then we get Eddie who doesn't seem to fit this mold for anything. He's, he's a bus boy. He's cleaning dishes. You don't really know anything about him. And that sets up for his arc throughout the film is this film is about Eddie. He's that main protagonist, but um, that's how I kind of looked into this, you know, um, by watching it. And it's, it's such a rewatchable scene. It's, it's it's almost flawless to me, but I don't know. What, what is what that more, flaws, more? What flaws are there? You that's what I. Flawless. Well, I mean, I would say none. Then I mean, yeah. Since, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious. How would you do it better? <laughs> well, I, I I I err on the side of caution and try not to say every anything is like super perfect. But I I think that this is probably pretty goddamn close to perfect. So. I, I, yeah. If if there has ever been such a thing as one perfect shot, this is it. Yes, I agree. Um, but is is that more or less how you kind of read this shot? Yeah, uh, I mean, it literally took us right into this world and introduced us to everyone that is a factor or a player in this story. And um, we we get enough information about everyone to know what they're all about. Minus um, Eddie from Torrance. Yes. And it looks like an inviting world. Like when you come in, you're like, dude, they're having fun. They're eating. They get taken to their reserve tables and they clearly are in the business. Now, you don't know that it's it's pornography, but you know that they're Jack's a big wig and they're just they're all having a good time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great way to introduce your characters. Um, PTA continues to use this for full narrative narrative effect throughout the film to kind of intertwine the myriad of storylines and characters. Um, and you know, it, it, it reminded me, um, kind of a Pulp Fiction, how in Pulp Fiction, he uses a lot of how the stories intertwine. And so you'll see one thing end as another story begins. And right. PTA does that a lot in this and, and his, his long takes are, are, are meant to do that. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. And there's a lot of, uh, during a lot of these long takes and even some of his shorter ones, you have to really kind of pay attention because there's if you have a really strong eye for detail, PTA purposely places important kind of like blinker, you'll miss it moments um, in it. And as long as you're kind of watching what's going on, you'll be like, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense why this happens. And and that gives you a little insight into Eddie's life or something. But um, yeah, I think um, I mean, there's even moments where uh, it's kind of sort of pointing you in the right direction just so you don't miss it. Like when Scotty first appears at the pool party, um, he's looking around and sort of sort of scoping out the joint, and then his he gets focused on Dirk and his and does a little shutter thing with his eye <laughs> to where he's like honed in on him, and it's like, oh, okay, what, where's this going? And uh, and I love that. 
It's, I love how that is certainly the case. And I feel like, you know, Dave Edmondson, he always talks about um, act, our directors that don't know how to make the hard cuts and and make a movie shorter and more on point. And, you know, he'll say that about like Peter Jackson, for example. Um, and I think that in the case of Magnolia, not Magnolia, I'm sorry, in the case of Boogie Nights, there isn't a single wasted frame. I think everything has a purpose. And I love that about this movie. Magnolia, not mm-hmm. so much, but um, Boogie Nights, absolutely. I think that this movie is the exact runtime that it needs to be. Oh, totally. I loved every minute of it. I did not think that it was yeah, a waste of time. I think the story uh, from start to finish, you saw that entire arc and I absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree with you. 100. Don't uh, be crazy. <laughs> did you like that tweet I put when they're in? Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. so funny. He's like, don't be crazy, Todd. I'm like, oh, shit. Fucking <laughs> Todd Parker. I know. Todd um, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thomas Jane, that guy. One time, speaking of Dave Evanson, we were at a party and Thomas Jane was there. And we're, me and Dave were just standing at this table. And then Thomas Jane comes up to our table. And we both go, hey, like that. And then he goes, hey, and just backs away. <laughs> we like scared him. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh, it's great. And he wasn't wearing shoes, and that's weird. And David's like, uh, <laughs> it was like, or TJ. He goes, hey, TJ, Tom Shane. He goes, hey, TJ, what's with no shoes? <laughs> oh, man, it was so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so along the lines of what I was saying where it's the, the strong eye for detail so when we see Eddie's room uh, PTA does this kind of amazing thing like he kind of foreshadows things that will come to play into Dirk's progression through the film so the camera starts on him and he has a huge bulge so you're like alright well he's got a big penis because after this is after the scene where he um, solicits himself to Jack he's like if you know, $5 if you want to see it or $10 if you want to see me jerk it or something. Uh, so you're like, oh, okay, that's crazy. But then it zooms in on his crotch and then it kind of uh, pans over and you see posters of Bruce Lee. And uh, it, it, that that's Eddie's obsession with karate, <laughs> karate. And uh, he has that picture of the Corvette, you know, which he eventually buys when he gets famous. Uh, he has Serpico on his wall. So he kind of likes that, that cop, that rebel yeah, cop okay. idea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the guitar and all the music equipment he has, which is, you got the touch. <laughs> he thinks he has a great solo career. And then his love for women. He has like Farrah Fawcett and stuff on the wall. But um, I thought that that was really good and really, really purposeful because you see four or five things that come into play later on in the film. And that was to me, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I thought that that was really good. Um. Do you think there could have been any changes to casting at all? Mm, I mean, it's hard for me to say. I think I love everyone in this movie, and I can't imagine anybody else doing it. So, like, even when you said Leo was offered the role, I am 100% glad that Mark Wahlberg took the part. So, I... It's impossible I, for me to imagine. imagine yeah. Well, I think, yeah, because it's just, it's been, been out for so long, but for me, I guess I'll just pose this question. Do you think Mark Wahlberg is a good actor? Um, I mean, I think he's Mark Wahlberg. 
please, well, I please mean, I, question, sir. So, <laughs> so I think this movie shows what he can do. Uh, I think that in a lot of movies, he just sort of plays himself. Uh, I mean, and to be fair, I think that Al Pacino is the same way. I think Robert De Niro is the same way. Joe Pesci is the same way. Um, they all just have this way about them where it's the same person in every movie. And I think that if we were to say that Mark Wahlberg is different, then this is the one movie that shows that. Okay. I See, I would say The Departed is where he really, no pun intended, departs away from his his typical, like, crazy guy. Like, oh, what are we doing here? I'm Mark Wahlberg. I need to go work out. Like, right, but I mean, he's got the, the thick Bostonian accent thing, and he's in the movie for maybe four minutes. But he does such a good job in that role. He He's very, very effective in that role. Sure. And I mean, that's a star-studded cast, anyways. It's a Scorsese joint, so but he's you know, not that... carrying. He's not carrying the movie in this no, case. He's not. It's him carrying the movie. Yeah, that's a, that's a big responsibility. I agree. He could play that role any way he wanted to because he's only in it for five seconds. I also really like Mark Wahlberg in the other guys because I think he's he's actually a really funny actor, but he he just plays that that deadpan kind of humor really well. Uh, but for for me. I, there are so many lines in this movie that were so incredibly cheesy and seemed like he was reading them right off of a script. And I, I couldn't get beyond some of them when he's like, I'm going to pounce you, Sheila, or whatever. He's like, stop it. I mean it. And he's like jumping on the bed and stuff. Um, it's It was just so hard. That's the only thing that I would do is is I could see replacing Mark Wahlberg. Now, since this movie's been out. Sharon. She, was it Sharon? Maybe. I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was Sheila. Uh, But anyways, the only person that I could consider replacing would be Mark Wahlberg. I just don't have an answer for who you could replace him with. But um, that's the only one that I could. What? It's Cheryl. What did you say? Cheryl. I said Sheila. It's Cheryl. I was close. It's It's Cheryl Lynn. Cheryl Lynn. I mean, it's Cheryl Lynn. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) he uh, it's interesting, though, because even his dialogue, you know, He's like, just don't be mean to me and stuff. Um, he's kind of like a, a kid, right? Because he's 18. And then throughout this film, we 17. see him. He's 17? Uh, who says, oh, how shit. old are you, Eddie? 17. Oh. Oh, Do you yeah. even watch the movie? I don't even know Honestly. what I watch. <laughs> so then he, uh, I don't have a photographic memory like you do and remember every line of everything. But uh, anyways, he then, you know, uh, progresses through the film and, and he ages and he, he becomes a quote-unquote mature adult uh so it was, it was very interesting to see that progression and I, I i enjoyed that but yeah so there's always been constant debate about the ethics of porn uh just just porn in general and for many decades it was incredibly taboo but in the past i'd say five years it's been vastly accepted i mean people openly will talk about porn and it's like oh yeah you know this porn star and that it's it's okay to talk about it why do you think that has shifted so much uh, I mean, it's taken a billion years to get to that point, but I mean, it's just the way our the way we view censorship. I think. Uh, I mean, there was a time when you couldn't say "ass" on the radio and or "bitch" or whatever, and now it's it's on fucking Care Bears if you put it on, on TV. So <laughs> on I think it's just, it's just their idea of what is appropriate is just has shifted. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's the way the world works. Uh, like Holland Oates. 
you know, uh, there's in a little line where he's like, it's a bitch. And um, I'm just like, whoa, he just said bitch on the radio. <laughs> this is happening. The future. And so. <laughs> the future. <laughs> uh, it's just funny how our, you know, uh, our morals, you know, we become morally flexible and we can say swear words now. And uh, it's great. Yeah. I agree with you. I think I I think we've just been more accepting uh, as, as time has gone on, and we're like, yeah. you know what? That's not that bad. It's not. It's uh, it's not. And in in Europe, you know, it's sexuality is, is experienced and, and um, celebrated. So topless women. That's why they have like topless beaches and stuff. And on ads, they don't care. They'll show that stuff because bodies are beautiful, and it's weird for us to get worked up about something that is so trivial. And I think that. Porn is very healthy for people um, as long as they don't go out of control with it. But I think that it's it's harmless. It's like the safest sex you can have. You can't get pregnant from porn. So I think. Yet. But yet. <laughs> <laughs> VR porn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I loved Reed Rothschild and... Dirk Diggler. I thought that they were such a good dynamic duo. And I, I saw a lot of us in it, Justin. I think you're the Reed and I'm the Eddie. <laughs> so. Can you call me Dirk from now on? I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, when they're making margaritas, I was laughing so fucking hard when he's just asking him, you know, what do you squat? Oh, yeah. You ever go to Vince's? Oh, of course not. I've, I haven't seen you there. <laughs> yeah. That's like stuff that you would do. And I would just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I'm a funny guy, though. You are pretty funny. Funny to, funny to look at. Oh, yeah. I am kind of hurt Frankenstein y, kind of like, uh, like John C. Riley. <laughs> so I think that PTA uses a MacGuffin in this film. He uses Dirk's penis as, as said MacGuffin. And it's whenever someone sees it, you know, like when Colonel, the Colonel's like, can I see it? Uh, we always get the actor's reaction of it. We never get like a reverse shot of the, of the penis. Um, you know, there's that funny scene when he does his first film and all the actors and the cameraman and even Scotty's like, Oh, like he can't control yeah. himself, <laughs> but everyone has this reaction. And I think that that's so cool because we're all like, all right. So it's, it's very impressive because he has a, a giant penis. And so everyone is, we're gauging their reactions and they're so funny. And, you are kind of like, oh, we're not going to see it for the entire film because you almost kind of forget about it after a while until that final shot, which is so interesting because PTA is like, we're doing it. We're showing it. Right. That's the one special thing that made Dirk who he was. And I thought that that was so funny that they did it. You, you, you forget, though, that it's it's that one special thing. And I thought it was a brilliant payoff. But I don't know if you agree with that or not. But do you think that the briefcase in Pulp Fiction would have had the same effect if they had just yes. sort of turned it around and we saw what was in it. Yes. Um, I'm glad they didn't, but it's a different, it's like a different direction, but you're, you, yeah, it's a, it's the same thing though. Cause that briefcase was but, at the heart of it. But we know that Dirk has a big penis. We don't know what's in the briefcase. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that one of the coolest things uh, that came from Tarantino not showing the briefcase was all these fun theories about it. You know, right? Like it was uh, Wallace's soul was basically in it. Yeah, because um, he had the bandaid on the back of his head. That was fun. Yep. And then people saying that it was the money from Reservoir Dogs. Um, yeah, diamonds. Yeah, the, or the diamonds. There you go. Um, so should should we feel bad for for Dirk at all in this film? I do. Why? 
Uh, because I think at the end of the day, he just wants to be loved and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And Even he though was, he was, but then he got so blinded by, uh, you know, he becomes a materialist and objects are very important to him. We get the tour of his house. It's all Italian. This, <laughs> yeah, this is the important Italian uh, <laughs> fucking alligator or whatever the hell it is. And like, uh, that's just who he to him. That's what all this is about. All this fame being this celebrity means something because I have this stuff. I have this new bed with these amazing imported Italian sheets and quilt and and <laughs> his dojo and then his car. <laughs> and it's like all of these things to him. That's what it means to be Dirk Diggler. He's no longer Eddie. He's he's Dirk Diggler. And, and, and in order to be Dirk Diggler, he needs these things. And it's not until the end when he hits rock bottom that he sees, you know, what really is important to him and who he is, is the people around him. And I think Mm. that that's, I think all of us in some capacity have experienced this, Uh, maybe not to such a varying degree, but um, that time when you got your, your first job and you were able to pay for your, your first, whatever bike or console or video game or whatever it was, you felt at least I know I felt that I made it. I was like, holy shit, dude. I, I fucking bought my own Super Nintendo. I, I did it. I'm fucking the man right now. I am I am Dirk Diggler with this 13-inch console. Check this shit out. <laughs> and um, you know, it was, it was a big deal. And and for him, it's it's all these things. But I mean, to me, that's the American dream has shifted. It's getting this amazing career, getting married, having a family, having the white uh, picket fence in front of your house and for him the american dream was you know i'm fucking in hollywood i got all these these awards i have this huge house i have this this dojo this corvette whatever to him he was living the american dream and you know maybe maybe we daydream about that sort of thing every now and again and this is what we want and this is what we have but at the end of the day it's who do you have in your life and what are they doing for you you know, are, are they are they the support system that you need? Are you happy? Uh, you know, yes or no. And you know, we all have a different answer to that. And I think at, at some point, you know, you're going to have this humbling experience where you will realize what is truly important. And it's not it's not the console. It's it's the family or friends that you surround yourself with. Yeah, I agree. And he, you know, he was a substance abuser, and you you can't just shun him away because he got addicted to drugs. I mean. He was he was at hard times. Like as soon as he started doing coke, it kind of went downhill. And it's it's interesting because actually after this watch, the the moment he starts doing coke is on New Year's, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then we jump after that. After Little Bill kills himself, it goes into the basically documentary of Dirk Diggler, Dirk Diggler that Amber makes, and we're we're seeing Dirk, you know, with these aviator sunglasses on. He looks coked out. You know, he's. You can tell he, he he's definitely changed. He's referring to himself in the third person. Uh, he doesn't look great, but that's the start of his downward spiral. Um, it's kind of a it's kind of a microcosm too for the industry, or I'd say an allegory for the for the rest of the film industry. Because after that, that's when Jack's films start being of inferior quality and the VHS yeah, they're shoot, they're shoot on videotape, yeah, instead of film. Yeah. Yep. And um, you know, it's interesting too is that someone in his life is what it introduces him to the drug um amber who plays sort of the surrogate mother to all of these people she's the one 
that influences him to take the cocaina, which yep. I find fascinating. Like her world is so just wrecked and she invites others to it. You know, she's trying to find her own piece of happiness too. And maybe in a selfish way, she invites Dirk to that world, which I think is crazy. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, she wants to be that mother and, you know, she thinks that she's ready for her son to be there, but she can't give up her, her life, her lifestyle. Yeah. She's and, a mess. So, and as much as I hate yeah. her husband, mm-hmm. uh, he is 100% correct. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I mean, he had, he carries his way, this way about him that shows that he's just a real asshole. But at the end of the day, he's doing what's best for his child, which is not putting him in the hands of uh, a drug addict. That would mm-hmm. be, forget about the, who cares that she's in the porn industry. It, she is 100% an addict and that is dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that, sir. Um, and then so finally, uh, my final topic of the evening, uh, I'm going to circle back around to what you said at the beginning of the episode and what we've kind of been talking about. Um, I feel that the central theme for this movie is family. Uh, you know, it's about a group of people in the porn business, but each one of them use their surrogate Jack Horner father figure family to escape their own isolation and disjointed dysfunctional backgrounds. Um, it's this movie's about how unconventional and broken people are able to create family. And, you know, each one of them has some sort of, of, of weird backstory because if like that one critic that was just saying it was porn excess and whatever else he said, that's not what it's about. I mean, yeah, they're all call them out on it. (laughs) Yeah. Owen from fucking entertainment weekly or something like that. Like they're in, they're in the porn industry, but you PTA purposely shows their background. Like Eddie has a really broken home where his dad has no control. His mom is a tyrant, um, which (laughs) you leave here. You leave here with what you got. Nothing. I felt felt so bad when, when he's like, we just stop being mean to me. Like that was, that was a very childish moment. And I felt, I felt bad for him. You got to remind, be reminded of that, that he is a child. He He is 17 years old. He, if just looking at his room, you see that he is a kid. He has the posters on his wall, the toys. He is a child. Mm-hmm. I would argue that it isn't until your early twenties. I would say, like you, like well, I think I became an adult. I would say probably when I was like twenty two, twenty three. That's when my development really shifted, and I was a child all through college. You know, I, I, that's when I was learning what the world was really about. I knew what my family was all about, but it wasn't until I went away to college that I became an adult. And that doesn't happen magically overnight when you turn 18 years old. You have to be, you have to, you have to get wronged. You have to get hustled. You have to get beaten. You have to get a broken heart. You have to get all of these things to churn you out into an adult. And he is very much a child mm-hmm. at 17 years old. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so I think that's kind of why it made it heartbreaking too. Is, you know, she kicks him out. And so where does he run? He runs to to Jack, his new surrogate father. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I really like that diner scene when they first pick up Eddie after the nightclub and then he has sex with roller girl, but they're all at the, at the diner and they're seated as essentially what would look like a family, you know, uh, father, father, mother, and then, sister brother on one side. Um, and that's kind of how it is throughout the film. I mean, they all have this familial bond 
And uh, I think that that was obviously on purpose, but it's interesting, even like roller girl, right? She was a high school dropout and they, when her and Amber were doing cocaine and she's like, I just want you to be my mom. Can you, can you just call me mom? I mean, there was truth behind that. Probably she, she, she wanted that. And so did Amber. Amber said, you know, I miss my baby boy, Eddie or Dirk. I miss my Dirk. Um, granted, you know, she had some messed up stuff, like you were saying with the drugs and everything. They, they still reached out to each other as, as family. So for me, it's like important because, you know, like I have, I have family, but I don't really see them that often. And so my friends are, are my, my close family. And I've been very fortunate enough to, to meet a good group of friends like you and everybody else who I consider family to me. And so that's me basically getting kicked out of my room and running to you guys to hang out with y'all. And then we make movies, lots of movies, <laughs> but, but, uh, I think it's just so important and that's, what's so good about this film. And I think it goes a lot deeper than, than what that critic was thinking of just the porn thing. Like that's, that's just a sidebar to, to this whole film. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add on that, on that family aspect? Uh, no, cause I used my family aspect when I was re rebuttaling mr owen from the entertainment i've been done uh, talking since 55 minutes ago uh pretty much i think in the opening 10 minutes i was like um hey man that's not what this movie's about (laughs) it's about family love and acceptance and having a support system and all these things you're like my bro arnold always says and all these things and all these things (laughs) And about the family and the love and, and all these things. <laughs> uh, okay, letter grade. What do you give it? I give it an A. Same. I give it an A plus, though. I absolutely love this film. Um, I want it on digital. I wish I wish I had it on digital, but I do have the, the Blu-ray. So, Dude, I have... Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that for the digital because I have... Um, Back when DVDs were a thing, I still had it on on the DVD, and it was like uh, this super mega like ultimate edition where it's like got a cartoony cover to it. It's orange, mm-hmm. um, but the quality is not good. Is uh, might as well be fucking VHS tape. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is a blurry movie, and um, isn't that crazy? I mean, you know. As someone that has lived through multiple forms of media, I find it fascinating how accepting we were to poor quality video. <laughs> I'm thinking it was so cool. It's just so nuts when you've when you've flown so close to the sun and you see what can be, and then you go back to to 20 years ago and how terrible it was. <laughs> And we, we see that, too, because, you know, the shift from film to VHS, uh, he does a lot of the shots in the perspective of that that format. And when Jack and uh, Roller Girl are in the limo, they're shooting on VHS and the quality yeah. just looks like shit that. But that's what VHS was. It was just it was portable mm-hmm. and it was easier. You could get it into homes, but it still wasn't good quality. <laughs> cheap. That was the thing. It was so cheap. Oh, exactly. Like they had that warehouse. Films essentially, ex- Films is expensive. Mm-hmm. I remember the first movie that I ever shot on. Um, it was like on uh, eight millimeter and it was um, God, it was almost a hundred dollars for like, I don't even know. It was like a hundred feet of film or some bullshit in class. And it was so crazy. That's a lot. Thinking, 
thinking, holy shit. (laughs) 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 This costs a lot of money. And then when you think of something like Lord of the Rings, right, where where, uh, I mean, that was for them to edit it. And, you know, we had to we had to go through the whole thing where they had to develop it and we had to, like, cut it and all that stuff. And it was a whole process. And so um, you're bas- I was basically paying for like a package deal to do all this stuff. But um, at the end of the day, when you think of uh, five miles worth of film to shoot Lord of the Rings and you're like, how much fucking money is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. a lot of that's a lot of hooch. Um, so just the very idea of being able to shoot on, on digital these days, you know, you could shoot a movie on your, on your iPhone and it'd be broadcast quality. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why the whole world is able to, to make videos and movies these days because of just the sheer ease and cost effectiveness. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, I agree. That's a good thing. I mean, sure. I would love for everyone to be able to make a movie on actual film, but realistically, it makes a billion times more sense to just shoot digital, especially when you can just edit on the fly and you don't have to go get shit developed and then look at it and say, oh, crap, we fucked this up. Let's shoot it again. Yeah. Well, and even even changing changing uh, reels. Changes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, changing reels. That's a process. We had to do it inside of a bag, like in the dark. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a pain in the ass, man. It is a pain in the ass. Well, especially for like a a porn too. I mean, you know, he had he had to stop. They had to stop their love making, and uh, it's it's just hard to kind of capture that too. And just what an inconvenience. And I know that Kirk says that part when like Scotty's like, "Oh, how how long a runtime do we get this?" He's like, "Scotty, it's video. It lasts forever, or whatever." He says. Yeah. And um, we just keep shooting. <laughs> we just keep shooting. Yeah. So that, I thought that, that deal was, with it later. That's what yeah. it says. We just keep shooting and we deal with it later. <laughs> it's like that lost art of film. I think that's what yeah. PTA is kind of getting at. So sure. Um, cool, man. That was good. I liked it. Do you have anything else to add? I don't think so. I like the movie. It's a good movie. You should go see it. I don't do what people tell me to do, Justin. So <laughs> yeah, you don't even go to touristy spots when you're fucking visiting countries. I'm not a tourist, man. <laughs> you're like, Ugh. I'm above that. But <laughs> you got your got your Fromer's tourist guide book. There you go. I'm more of a Rick Steves guy myself, but um sweet. Want me to take us home? Yeah, take us out. All right, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy, Don't Be Crazy Todd podcast. Remember to follow us on the Twitter there at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60. Oh, uh, quick thing. Did you see my exe post? I got like a thousand likes for that. That was cool. It was like 854. Um, I looked today and it said over a thousand and Justin is crazy. So <laughs> I won. I, won, I think I won a t-shirt or something from Funko though. So they emailed me. Really? Yeah, they messaged me and they're like, congratulations, fill this form out and we'll give you something. I'm like, huh. What? How about that? So, yeah. You guys can uh, check my Twitter if you like it. Um, it's a fun thing I was going to cosplay at ECCC this year, but it uh, fortunately <laughs> was uh, it was canceled. So, I mean, it's a good thing, but yeah. Anyhow, you can share your thoughts on the Twitter there with us, and we'll, uh, we'll discuss them on our show. You know, thank you for everyone who's listening out there. We love all the conversation with all of you. We know that our buddy Steve was excited about this episode. Um, he probably holds this film pretty dearly in his heart. So uh, Dave was funny too about uh, he retweeted the or he sent a picture for Reed and Dirk when they're making the margaritas. Oh yeah, that's a good one. It's a really good one. Uh, heck, you know you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening.